When I was a teenager, I spent every summer with my girl cousins in Lahore, where there was little for us to do but wait until the day had cooled enough to venture out of their ceiling-fanned bedrooms and up onto the roof of my uncle's house, where we'd lie on charpoys and tell each other secrets or lean over the roof railings and wolf-whistle at boys riding by on motorbikes without their helmets on and then crouch down and hide. My aunt was particular about propriety, as was, and still is, my mother. And so together, they were always telling us off for laughing too loud, or dancing or watching Bollywood films. But up on the roof, we were free to giggle and gasp over the teen girl magazines I'd secretly brought with me from England, full of articles on kissing techniques and double-page spreads of handsome boys. On the roof, we discarded our sandals and dupattas we otherwise draped around our necks, and we talked breathlessly about silly things like our future wedding days and the boys we thought we liked. Once, as dusk fell and the sky turned pink, my girl cousins pointed to the silhouette of a gnarly silvery tree on the periphery of their housing district. I understood that we were not supposed to go near it. My mother had mentioned it to me a few times, but I never did know why until that night. My cousins told me that once there was a young woman who married for love, but her husband died in mysterious, unexplained circumstances. The story went that this young woman walked every night under the moonlight, searching for him, her love match, her heart broken. One night, her body was found, face down and limbs twisted, at the foot of this tree. It was said that her hair had sewn itself into the tree's roots, each strand pinned into the dry earth, and it was said that her soul had been sucked into the hollow of its trunk, her grief weighing its boughs down forevermore. Apparently at night, you could hear her unborn baby cry. The girls in the neighbourhood were forbidden from going anywhere near this tree, for fear the widow's spirit might taint them, infiltrate them somehow, and turn them into witches or worse, future widows themselves. From that story came other superstitions, about jinns and the danger of wearing our hair loose, or walking in the moonlight, or doing both at the same time. The danger being that if we did, we might still lose our, as yet, imaginary husbands. A love match, we exclaimed, at the wonder of it. A widow, we shuddered. How awful, we lamented. And then we threw our heads back and laughed, and dared each other one by one. Of course, I said I'd do it. And I did. I was the only one who made it all the way out to the tree and back secretly slipping out of the gate while our parents took tea in the front room after dinner and our brothers played video games in the TV lounge. My girl cousins whispered and watched from behind a window grill and promised they'd cover for me. I remember running as fast as I could, my heart beating wildly, my sandals rubbing my toes, the smell of jasmine heavy in the night air rushing past me. I remember the thrill of it and the fear of it, 
the very real possibility of being caught by my mother and my aunt, but also my wilder terror of the widow and her spirit. Though I had told my girl cousins that I thought the story silly, impossible and untrue, it frightened me. But still, I ran and I ran, terrified, exalted. I remember reaching out to touch the tree trunk, tagging it as though I was in a relay race, and my astonishment at how cold and smooth it felt. Before I turned and ran back to the house, out of breath, 